0: Good morning. Good morning. We uh, began a new series last week entitled Strapped, where we talked about our spending habits, our saving habits, our investing habits, our our spiritual habits, and uh, we're kind of moving towards or in the middle of a godly perspective on our finances, making wise choices, uh, Uh, choices that allow us to be the stewards that God would have us to be. If you remember last week, we talked about how easy it is to become a slave to money. Scripture says that no one can serve two masters, or you will become a slave to one, and the choices that uh, Jesus gave us there were God and money. And if you're honest this morning, in many, many ways, you might feel like You are a slave to money. Uh, Last week, we kind of set the spiritual basis or the scriptural basis uh, for what we're going to talk about. Today, we're going to get practical and talk about some very specific things that you can do to improve uh, your present lot financially. We want to get to the place where money can serve us as we serve God rather than us serving money. Is that a good idea, church? Uh, Thank you for agreeing with me. I I could sense a consensus here, and I could also sense that those last two songs woke you up. And I'm grateful for that. I I know that it is very warm in the sanctuary today. I see the fans out. And so I know there's going to be a tendency to sleep. But I want you to know that I can see your eyes from here. And I know everyone's here is name. And I will call on you if I see you sleeping. Uh, If you're here today and you're not 70 years of age or older, you may not have heard this rule. There was an old rule that that generation of people lived by it. It may seem uh, antiquated to you. It, It may seem like a crazy notion, but my grandparents and lots of folks here, Live by this rule. If you don't have the money to buy it, you're not allowed to buy it. Heard that rule? <laughs> if you don't have the money to buy it, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, we've all got credit cards. We all know a banker. Uh, you know, you can even call some of these. You, the, you can go online and get 36% interest anytime you want it. I mean, why would you wait for something you wanted? Uh But I want you to keep that rule in mind today. If you don't have the money, you aren't allowed to buy it. And there was a a great generation, in fact, every generation, I believe, before that lived by that rule. Matter of fact, did you know this? That before the Great Depression, only 2% of the homeowners in America had a mortgage on their property. 2% before the Great Depression. Uh, Forty years later, four decades later in 1970, only 2% of us don't, or didn't then, and those numbers are worse now. Isn't that interesting? Uh, back in the day, if you didn't have the money, you didn't buy a house. Where do you think you'd be living if you hadn't gotten your mortgage? We'd probably all have a room here in the church, wouldn't we? But that's how our culture Uh, manages itself. Uh, We have gotten into situations, we talked about those statistics last week, where we literally cannot afford to do the things that are important to us. So our goal at the end of this message today is to move you from a place, from a perspective where you're strapped. Where you can't get to where you need to get to, to a place where you can use your money, not only in a way to honor God, but also in a way uh, to allow you to do the things that uh, are important, I mean really important in your life. Now, we kind of live in a, a generation of entitlement, don't we? Think about that word. That's a good word, entitlement. And, and we believe that if we want something, we should have it, uh, no matter what it is. If, if it's a, we get a notion that this would be something that would make my life better, my life happier, uh, we go for it. We find a way uh, to get it. Uh, used to be we would categorize people in, in these two categories, the haves and the who, now, here, that's most of us, isn't it? Yeah. We got a good group of have-nots here. <laughs> the haves and the have-nots. Now, there's a third group of people, and I believe maybe the largest of, of those three categories, uh, have not paid for it. Right? You know, they've got it, and they're looking good. Now they have bought this, and they've bought that, and they've made sure that uh, this is in their garage, or this is the house they live in, and 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 these are the clothes they're wearing. These are their trinkets. And the fact is, they're pretenders. You know, pretenders. Deceivers on some level. Not so much that, you know, I'm in that category. And I'm not trying to deceive you that I had to buy this shirt shirt right here on credit. Uh, If I'd have known Ken Oglesby was wearing this shirt, I'd have never worn it. I can tell you that right now. I'd have sold it to somebody. But, you know, all of us, you know, we want to look better. We want to look a little fancier. We want to give out the impression that things are smooth over at our house. And so there's this category of, of the have not paid for it. So I want you to look at our foundational verse uh, for the whole series. We read it last week, and, 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 and you'll see exactly where it fits in here. Second part of the verse, the rich In Psalm 22, verse 7, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower, the have-nots, the have-not-paids, are servants to the lender. And here's our verse for the day. It's in in, in Proverbs 13 and also verse 7. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. You know that person? That could be a little convicting. I don't know if I want to read this verse. There's one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. And others who make themselves poor, yet have great riches. Great riches. Well, I'm going to give you three principles. To live by, to spend by, to save by, to walk with Christ by, to draw close to God by. Three principles that I believe, if they are overriding foundational thoughts in your life that your life is going to be significantly better and here's the first one the first one is self-control discipline now I want to begin by saying this the scripture gives us a list of the things that God plants in every believer what's on that list the fruit of the Spirit. I just gave you a great big hint. Love, joy, peace. What's the last one? Wow. You know, this would be like third grade if we were in school. (laughs) Self-control. And so if you're saying, you know what, Pastor? You know, you you say these things and I hear you, but self-control, that's not my strength. You know, I have the option sometimes of of controlling myself, and I do. And other times I just do whatever it is that I take a notion to do or spend whatever it is that I decide. You know, I don't necessarily have self-control. Well, that's a lie. Because God said, if my spirit is in you, if my spirit is in you, one of the the things that I'm going to give you as a result of my spirit being there, is what? Fifth grade now. We're doing better. I mean, it's there. You have the capacity to be disciplined and to make choices uh, that are wise, that that keep you from getting further and further and further into the hole. Now, you notice how this principle works financially? as well as spiritually. you know The same self-control that keeps you from walking down a path of sin or pulls you back out of that path when you've made a mistake is the same in the financial world. That, that same spirit is within you to make wise choices in every area of your life. And one of the ways, because here's what I believe about our spending, about our checkbook that it is a very clear piece of evidence as to where our heart is. You agree with that? Amen? If, if you were to drop by the office this week and give me your checkbook, and leave it with me of course, <laughs> I could do a couple things. The first is I could tell you what's really most important in your life. Secondly, I could have a good time. But the fact of the matter is, it, it's an indication of where our heart is. And, and I want you to think about some things that, that you may have purchased uh, over the last few weeks, months, years. Kent's case a couple days ago. Uh, isn't it good to have somebody right now in front that just fits right into your stories? Uh, I want you to think about things that you thought you needed. Is it really a need or is it a want? really a need, or is it a want? It's amazing how we're tricked by marketing schemes, isn't it? I had a conversation with a lady just the other day, and here's what she told me. She said, I went over to Crestview Mall, and I went in this store. I think she told me New York. Is that a store? Yeah. It's an original name, isn't it? New York. And uh, she said, I went in, and I bought me a new dress and a scarf to match it. The dress was 50% off, and the scarf If I spent so much money, the scarf came free, and I got some jewelry to match it, and that I got at at, at 70% off, and then I found a couple sweaters that looked good with the dress, so I bought them, and they were 30%. Oh, actually, they were two for one. It was a really good deal. And then she said, I walked down to DS that, and I bought a pair of shoes to match them And they were on the clearance rack. They were marked with a purple tag. And I got them for 70% off. And she said, guess how much money I saved. Well, I I had no clue. But you know what I did know? I did know she had less money in her pocket than before she went, right? Now, I don't mean to pick on ladies, but it's fun. Uh, Uh... I know men who have to golf twice a week. And I'm, I'm going to talk about me just for a second. Not only do I go golfing in the summer, I go golfing in the winter. And you're thinking it's going to slow down now, but guess what I have? I have a plastic custom cover that fits down over and wings out over a golf club, a golf cart where the air can hit you when you're golfing in the winter. And then I have a, 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 a cup holder where a Coleman propane tank will set in my cup holder. And I've got a blower and a fan. I can stay, I can keep my cart at a crisp 82, like it is here in the middle of the church today. Now, who in the world needs that, right? And, and there are guys here who have 20, 20 shotguns. There are other guys here who have Every piece of chrome possible on their Harley. <laughs> I mean, and maybe I didn't get to your thing, guys. But you know you've got that, don't you? You know it's there. Ladies, is it necessary? Let's go back there. Is it, is it necessary for you to get your nails done twice a week? Or No, excuse me, that's way too much. Twice a month. Hold them up. Yep. Yeah, But you know, I've been with a lot of guys, and, and you know, I think women, you know, kind of fix up like guys do to impress the opposite sex. And I've been with a lot of guys and heard a lot of conversations, guys about women, and I've never once heard guys say when a woman walked by, did you see that nice set of nails on her? I <laughs> wonder if they're real. Never heard that. I mean, it's not working if that's why you're doing it. And, and, and you know, we're, we're the same guys. We, I mean, we, we buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Or maybe some we really like, too. I'm not going to go all the way there. But the, the, the problem is we have a really, really difficult time distinguishing between a want and a need, don't we? A want and a need. And, and, and since we live in a culture of entitlement, since we have uh, come to believe that just because we want it, we can have it, we spend that money. Here's what the Bible says. Let me read this passage. It's, it's also in Proverbs. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. In other words, there's no boundaries. There's nothing to keep the devil out. And it, this, it, this isn't new stuff. It starts early. Uh, how many of you have experienced having a two-year-old child in a store? Wow. And, and I know that all my kids went through the terrible twos, but the one that I remember vividly is Amanda. And I guess maybe she got me used to it, so I didn't notice it when the boys... Came along, so we would go into a store with her, whether, you know, it didn't matter what store, if it was a toy store or a candy store, it was magnified, but if she didn't get what she wanted, she would sit down, I think she'd look around to make sure a lot of people were watching, (laughs) right? (laughs) And she would sit down in the store and she would scream and yell and call me names, cheap daddy, cheap daddy, you know what I mean? Just, I mean, it was awful. You could not control her. And, you know, it was either deal with that or buy it. And, you know, sometimes I was, you know, said, you deal with her. And left and didn't buy it. (laughs) But other times I did. I was rewarding what? Bad behavior. Now, that's kind of easy to see in two-year-olds, isn't it? Maybe that's why they continue to feel entitled now. But I've seen you and me go into a store, want something, struggle with whether we should buy it or not, and if we don't get it, we walk out of there not yelling and kicking and screaming, but we've got those same emotions churning inside. So-and-so has it. Why can't I have that? It would make me so much. If I could just buy that dress at the prom, I'd be successful. I mean, Whatever. We deal in our lives with a very, very definitive lack of self-control. We do it spiritually too, don't we? We make choices on a regular basis. Every person in this room is guilty. Choices that say, I've got no control over this situation. And many, many times things happen, consequences come, because we don't exert our self-control. Secondly, let me give you another word. And this is not a very positive word for many of you. It's the word sacrifice. But it is one of the most common biblical themes. Here's what it says in Hebrews 12 2 Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was willing to offer up the ultimate sacrifice. He was willing to say, I know where I fit in God's plan of salvation for his people, and no sacrifice is too great for me to fulfill that plan. Now I want to give you a definition, I think a a spiritual definition as well as a practical definition. Of sacrifice you give up something you love for something you love even more now what might that look like in your life you go into the store they're selling iphone 6s you know you'd be really cool if you had an iphone 6 like that guy's hand but you decide to stay with the 5 or the flip phone because it's $400 cheaper. And you go out and you pay off a bill with what you saved. That's a strange notion, isn't it? You go into the HH Greg, and they've got a big, beautiful HD, super smart uh, leap out of the, the box and, and make you think you live in TV world, 3D, 40. I saw a 5D the other day. You can see yourself in dimensions that were never known to man before. And it's $1,899, but you decide not to buy that and maybe even go home and give up cable TV. How is it that cable TV is over $100 a month now? Just so you can have the SEC network and watch Kentucky lose. But that's beside the point. But you decide to give that up so you could have a debt-free Christmas. And what's the big deal with $5 coffee? that people get in line, and you can't get through the Florence Mall area on every given workday so people can drive through Starbucks and foo-foo up their coffee instead of drinking it like gutty people. (laughs) Black and tough and rough, and they're there, and they're getting extra shots. What's an extra shot mean? Come on, don't lie to me. More caffeine. Why would you drink coffee without more caffeine, right? Right? And then they put whip on it. I like that word, whip, because I know that. <laughs> but is coffee really worth $6 a cup every morning? My goodness. Yeah, I, I read this the other day. Just, this is just a, a way of sacrificing so you can think about maybe doing something else. If every day you pack your lunch, you brown bag it, instead of going to eat, you will save on the average of $8 a day. And at the end of 40 years, your work career hopefully, you will have saved $112,000. And a lot of calories too, right? $112,000. That's a lot of money, right? For anybody. So do we embrace the value of sacrifice? Do we determine that instead of just impulse buying, spending, vacationing, whatever it is, that we're going to decide what we really need over what we really want? Let me ask you a question just to shift gears a second. When you stop and you think about your salvation, or your desire to be saved. When you stop and you, you think about what's going to make the difference between heaven and hell in your life. What word comes to mind? When you stand at, at this communion table, which I hope many of you will later. And, and you think about what Jesus did. What word comes to mind? You know, I hear a lot of people say, uh, I want to leave the world a better place when, when I'm gone or I want to make sure that I've taken care of the future in some way for my kids and I want to do this and I want to do that and practically everything spiritually, financially, practically involves a word called sacrifice. And you're going to make it to heaven because of sacrifice. Not your own. If you have a chance of heaven, it's not because you've been self-controlled and as good as you should have been. It's because Jesus was. And he sacrificed everything for you to live. Next word is planning. Planning. Embrace the value of planning. I want to read a couple passages. It says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Just a question, when you get ready to go on vacation, are you one of those folks who just says, get in the car? We'll see where we're going. We'll see where we're going to stay. Or do you have a chart? Here's where we're going to be at 10-11. If if you go somewhere with Marilyn Beal, by the way, doesn't matter where you're going, what time you're supposed to be there, you leave at 8 a.m and you stop at the rest area in Georgetown. No matter what. Sometimes we've been going to Louisville and stopped at the rest area in Georgetown. So some people are planners, aren't they? Some people want to know what it's going to cost. Some people want to know exactly where they're going to be. And then there are others of us who are more haphazard. Let's just go. Let's just see. But occasionally, even for those who'd rather not plan even for those who'd rather not have a system, even for those who kind of say, you know, planning is not really living. It's not fun. It's not good. Let's just enjoy. It's wise for us to step back and say, here's my plan. Proverbs 21 says it this way. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty Surely to poverty. Planning. I've got some good news for you. If you've not been a good planner, right at the beginning of the new year, a few weeks after this series lets out, and and you get done what you have to do at Christmas, we're going to start a financial peace class. We'll start 10 if we need to, to teach you how to plan, how to budget, how to manage your money, Let me just tell you what I I've met Dave Ramsey a few times and he uh, he's daunting even on video. He'll scare you into saving money. Kent and I were down in uh, in Atlanta for Catalyst and Dave Ramsey got up to speak and Kent looked over to me and he said, "I don't want to hear this, do you? It's too convicting." So we left (laughs) and we went to the mall. This is a great story. I've never told this publicly. <laughs> we went to the store. We went to the Macy's, and they were having 65 percent. It was the perfect time to hit it in the Tommy Bahama section. And so I load up with some packages. Kent got some things, too. We head out of there. Dave Ramsey has finished, and there's his truck, his van, his, his RV, wasn't it? Yeah, right there when we walked out of the door. (laughs) His big ball head was like huge. On that, and he was signing books. We did not take the stuff back. But, you know, we want to avoid that part of our life, don't we? Here's a principle. You cannot wander into debt, or you can wander into debt. Let me say that right. You can But you won't wander out. You'll plan to get out. There are a couple things that I want to just kind of give you, practical things. And the first is you can do this. You can start immediately this week. Figure out a way, if you don't already have kind of a a boundary, a a little uh, nest egg, figure out a way to save over the next few weeks, a thousand dollars for emergencies. Just have a, a fund for emergencies, somewhere, somehow, some way. Figure out a way. And the second thing is what we call a debt snowball, and in the the process of doing a debt snowball, you sit down and you list on a sheet of paper every debt that you have, every. Uh, every lender, every, you know, what's the payoff, how much do you have to pay a month, every lender you have, and you make that list. Uh, Some of you may need more than one piece of paper. Just use what, whatever you need. And then you decide which of those would be the easiest to pay off. You pay the minimum on the others, and you pay that one off as quickly as you can. You may need to Find, you know, some extra money somehow. This graph calls for 500 You can do it with as little as $100. Where, and you say, how do I find extra money? I get a second job. Sell something. Sell one of those 20 shotguns. Don't get your nails done. I've given you 100 ideas where you find some extra money. But you use that extra money and you begin to systematically pay off from the smallest to the largest, your debts. You show discipline. You you demonstrate some planning. Now, I know that some of you are sitting here and you're saying, why in the world are we talking about this in church? Why in the world? I told you last week, Jesus spent five times more talking about money and the things that money could buy than he did any other spiritual discipline. And he made it clear that he wanted those folks who were his disciples, Christ followers, to live significant lives. And if we find ourselves as a slave to money, it's going to keep us from being the people that we should be in Christ. You buy that? Amen? You're not going to be able to be generous. You're not going to be able to be at peace. You're going to be constantly worried about your image and not God's image. You're going to be spiritually dead and maybe financially dead. So if you're struggling today with being strapped, take some steps even right now in your mind. Decide that you're going to use self-control, that you're going to find a way to to marry Jesus and sacrifice. And that for once in your life, you'll step back and make a plan. And just see what God begins to do in your life. I believe God always honors sacrifice, don't you? And I know right now that some of you are feeling compelled to make a decision for him. That's a form of sacrifice. I'll make this church my home. I'll make a a decision to have self-control, to do better financially, to be wiser, I'll make a decision to live for Christ, make a decision to walk in faith. So I want to invite you this morning to the place where decisions are made, to an altar where prayer is offered up, to a new life, to new hope. I want to invite you to a place where God dwells and where God changes everything. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we come and sacrifice, surrender, and self-control, we lift one another up. We pray for those who are pondering right now a faith choice, a lifestyle choice. We're pondering choosing you. Father, right here, right now, we we lift one another up and we bow before you. We ask for your power and your presence, your wisdom, your salvation, your forgiveness. And as we stand and sing, Father, plant in our hearts a desire to be absolutely obedient to you. In Jesus' name.